We have been uh, talking now for several weeks about Romans chapter 12, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, where we learn the definition of Christian worship and uh, how uh, just kind of a basic overview of the Christian life, which of course is a life that worships. It's a life that is properly reoriented to, to God in Christ by the Spirit. And uh, I, I want to say something about the word worship in the English language. The word worship is uh, based on the word for worth. Like, what is something worth? And so we might recognize or that uh, worship is something like the proper value given to God. Someone in their heart and mind comes to understand and reflect the greatness of God and the importance of God, the value of God. And of course, our relationship to God is only made possible after we fell into sin, is only made possible by the sacrifice of Christ, by the righteousness of Christ given to us, imputed to us, credited to our account uh, by God through faith. That's the whole book of Romans in a nutshell. It's a pretty small nutshell, I admit. Uh, But that is what God has done in, in our lives in Christ by the Spirit. And we are brought to faith by the work of the Spirit so that we recognize Christ for who He really is. We see Christ, and in view of God's mercy, we cast ourselves on God. We present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy pleasing to God, and that is worship. That is your spiritual or reasonable or logical or logical spiritual reasonable service of worship. And then Paul goes on. He says, I urge you to present yourselves to God. Now, presenting yourself to God is to simply trust your life to Him. To put yourself into His hands. Well, if you do that, of course, you belong to Him. That means he can do with you what he wills. So some of us are a little bit afraid of what he might will, and we're going to come to a sort of corrective on that way of thinking in what we look at today. But Paul says, so present yourself to him and reject the world's schemes do not be conformed, do not be pressed, do not be 
pressured into thinking the way the world thinks. Here's the way the world thinks. Get what you can deserve. Get what you can deserve. Be your own self. We talked about this last time. Be your own self. It's an idolatry of self. That's the very nature of sin from the beginning. That is what Adam and Eve did that caused us all to become divorced and separated and alienated from the living God and therefore dead. That's the way the world operates. That's the scheme of this world. Be yourself. Be true to yourself. It's a, it's a scheme of personal autonomy that we see in our own age has gone to literally insane degrees where apparent reality is denied. And I can tell you who I am And it does not matter who I was made to be. I determine my own identity in the world. This is why you hear people identifying as this, that, or the other thing every day nowadays. It's personal autonomy, self-rule, gone to the uttermost and it is an idolatry of self human beings are not created to live in and of themselves they're created to live in fellowship with God and in relation to others and so my identity is not something I determine I'm created to be something and someone Reject conformity to the schemes of the world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we talked about that last week as well. The spirit and the word operate in the soul and the heart of a person to move that person to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, all the time, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, the thing you need is to trust in Jesus Christ. The key to your growth as a Christian is to find and exercise new ways to trust in Christ. Okay, so that's all review. Now, this morning, he says so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A person who casts himself into God's hands, who rejects the schemes of this world, but is transformed by the word of God activated by the Spirit of God, changes. 
that person changes. And they become able to do something that they previously were not able to do. And as they grow, they become more and more able to do this thing that they previously could not do. And that is discern what God wants, what God desires, God's direction. So they are able to test and prove the will of God. This word, uh, prove, that's translated prove in the translation I'm using, which is a New American Standard Bible, by the way. Uh, the word prove here is the word for running an experiment, for testing something to find out what it is. It's experimental Christianity if you want to put it that way. It's, uh, I think, what the writer of Hebrews is describing in Hebrews chapter 5. The end of Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews is complaining a little bit about the Hebrew Christians because he wanted them to exhibit a little more maturity at this point, and he says, solid food, this is Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature. And then he defines what mature means. You ready? Do you want to know what a mature Christian is, does, is like? Here it is. Who, because of practice, have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's packed. Because of practice have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. So here's, here's, here's what that means. It's, it's like the word uh, here, uh, trained, is a word for uh, going to the gym. It's actually the same word, gumnazo, gym. It has the word gymnasium right in it. They work out their sense of good and evil. Now, I have to admit, I don't know anything about going to gyms. You can tell by looking at me. But I have seen the value of practice. If you want to be good at something, what do you do? Practice it. And what are we practicing here? The mature Christian is practicing telling the difference between what's good and what's evil. And that's exactly what we're talking about in Romans 12. Prove. Prove the will of God. That which is good. The will of God is good. What God wants is the good thing. And the evil thing is always against the will of God. That's like the definition of the word evil. 
something against God is evil. And so the Christian is engaged in a life of experimental faith. In other words, I trust God, I move forward, and I really work at discerning the difference between good and evil. I practice. I practice, and I, well, that turned out not to be good, so now I know. That turned out to be good, so now I know. Now, here's the thing. A very, very substantial proportion of the difference between good and evil is simply explained to you in the scriptures. It doesn't require any practice whatsoever to know. Oh, except the practice of studying the scriptures. Where God says, I like this and I don't like this where he says something like, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. That's not good. Okay, so now I know. Be honest. Be truthful. Well, we face situations in life where truthfulness is challenging or hard to tell what's true and not true. We practice, we practice, we practice. We exercise our discernment experimentally. We, a transformed mind has the capacity, a, a mind informed by the Word of God, activated by the Spirit of God, trusting in God in Christ, that mind has the capacity to discern good and evil, and the desire. That is not a mind operating in personal autonomy that says, well, I will decide what's good for my own self and what's evil for my own self. And your good and evil and my good and evil may not be the same. That's the world's stupidity. That's the world's stupid rejection of God, foolish beyond belief. A person who has come back to God in Christ does not have to be foolish like that. We have the capacity and the desire to examine and evaluate life in terms of God's will. In other words, I start thinking, I start thinking, and I start evaluating every decision on this basis. What does God want? And I do this looking back. I evaluate my history, my life, our life together, as in terms of how does it compare to what God desires? And as I think about the future and the decisions I'm making on a day-to-day -day basis, I begin to think the important thing here, the important factor here is what does God want? I do this prospectively, looking forward, and retrospectively, looking back, and I practice evaluating everything and every decision and every course through this life 
in those terms, what is God's desire? Now, this presumes that I know something. <laughs> Testing presumes knowledge. I have to start from someplace. I don't know everything. I'm, I'm not perfect in my discernment of God's will, but I know something. And so I practice. And it requires practice. This text, by the way, is more about practicing the will of God than knowing it. It's about developing the wisdom of experience. I'm going to say that again because it's very important. This text is not about some magical spiritual injection that we receive the knowledge of God's will. It's about the accumulation of hard wisdom by practice. It's about a person becoming a skillful guide to others in the search for the will of God. It's about becoming good will of God hunters. Uh, some of you have hunted lionfish or various other creatures, I assume. My father was a really good hunter, by the way. He never hunted a lionfish. I don't know if he ever knew what a lionfish was. But he hunted game of all kinds. And he was a military person. He was an a airplane pilot, an attack pilot in the Marine Corps. In which case, you're hunting things on the ground and you're going to shoot missiles and bombs at them. He was a good hunter. I remember hunting with my dad one time. Well, more than one time. Many times. And he would say, oh, it's right there. It's right there. I don't see it. How did, and his, I mean, my eyesight was just as good as his. What's the difference between him and me? Well, he's been hunting for a thousand years. That's the difference. He's had a lot of experience finding that. He knows, he knows the lay of the land, so he spots something that's in the lay of the land. I remember as I became a lionfish hunter, this was my experience. You, you start by looking at the reef. And it's only after a while that you start to see the little feather of the lionfish sticking out of some hole. And you see that because you know everything else. And you see that is the thing that, that you're looking for. And my father developed a, the capacity to see the thing he was hunting. How did he develop it? By years and years of looking, testing, trying. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Christian becoming a skillful hunter of that thing we call the will of God. A skillful hunter. Someone who could guide someone else. 
Someone who could give advice based on the overall principle, what does God desire? Someone who studied the scriptures long and hard and understands the mind of Christ and has developed a way of thinking that follows in the footsteps of Christ and therefore becomes good at taking a life situation and spotting the will of God in it. Testing is the practice of the renewed mind. I'm checking the horizon to see the direction of God in it. Only renewed minds do this well. So, reject conformity to the world, be transformed, change your way of thinking so that it begins to align with the Word of God, activated by the Spirit of God, and you will become better and better at spotting the will of God in all the available options. Those who are developing the mind of Christ by trusting themselves to God in Christ, rejecting the world and receiving the Word, they are practicing the exercise of the renewed mind and they become discerning. And they might say, I don't, they, they might not always be able to explain it in great detail why, you know, this looks like the right th way to go and that, uh, that, I don't feel good about it. They become discerning, able to judge between good and evil. And by the way, this testing process, this experimental way of living the Christian life is part of the renewing of the mind. The more you do it, the more renewed mind you have. It's training our, our thinker. It's training our appraiser, our values, to value the things God values and to not value the things he doesn't. Now, a person can be uh, concerned about this submitting to the will of God. God might will some things that I don't. And so Paul encourages us here by describing the nature of the will of God to us. He says, here's what the will of God is like. First of all, it's good. It's beneficial. It provides merit or satisfaction. It's good. It's an asset, not a cost. If the Lord's will seems difficult, I need to bear this in mind. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about a person casts himself, presents himself a living sacrifice. I can only do that if I really believe God is good. To be trusted. And so Paul reminds us here, the will of God is good. 
It will produce the benefit, the blessing. Following it, obey, obedience to the will of God, even when it's difficult, it's good. Here's the second thing about it. It's pleasing. <laughs> now, sometimes, while I'm in the decision-making, I'm not going to see how I'm going to be pleased. But the promise of God is, if I follow his direction, I will be pleased with the result, ultimately. It might take till Jesus comes for me to realize the pleasing quality of obedience to God's will. But I will see it. It will please me. I, I had a question in my notes. Well, pleasing to whom? <laughs> this is our problem, right? Well, I could see that. That's going to please God, but I, it doesn't please me. No, that's not the correct reading of this text. He's telling you it will be pleasing to you. To please God will be pleasing to you, ultimately. Who's it pleasing to? It's pleasing to God and anyone else with a properly oriented mind. And if it's not pleasing to me, that's telling me something. We'll come back to that. The third thing about God's will in this text is it's perfect. This is the word teleos. <laughs> it's what Jesus said when he said, tetelestai, done. It is finished. It is complete. Tetelestai, or here, teleos, perfect, complete mature, fully realized. Now here's what that tells you. God is not frivolous in his thinking. God is not fickle. He doesn't think one thing one day and then change his mind the next day. He knows what he thinks. He knows what he wills, what he desires, and it is absolutely fully considered. Here's the thing about my decisions. My will is really flaky. It's this way one day, this way the next. This way one day, this way the next. I, do, I can't make up my mind. Why? Because I don't know anything. So I think this is what I want today, and then I find something out, and I go, oh, that's not what I want. God has never found anything out. There's never been a discovery in the mind of God. He always and always has known absolutely everything. And not only that, He knows everything that is as well as everything that might possibly have been or could be. We cannot grasp the comprehensive nature of the knowledge of God. When he made up his mind, which is 
really kind of a goofy way of talking about him. But when he made up his mind, he left nothing out that should have been considered. When I make up my mind, I leave nearly everything out. He leaves nothing out. It is perfect, his will. Utterly complete. He considers everything completely and in its correct proportion. Here's what I do. I exaggerate the importance of this fact and neglect the importance of this fact. And I don't weigh them properly. He weighs them absolutely properly all times. God's will is perfect. And obedience to God's will has perfect results. It is always a complete solution. Always a complete solution. If I can discern what God wants, it will be absolutely the right thing by far. And every time. So this is actually a great promise to the Christian, and yet we take it as a threat sometimes. <laughs> the will of God. We take it as a threat. We are such idiots. God's will is a great promise. The, the capacity to discern God's will and to follow it by the way, I get better at discerning it by following it. Uh, but anyway, I, as I follow and obey the will of God, I become better and better at it. It's always a complete solution. And yet, I can worry about what God might want for me. Where is he going to send me? What's he going to ask me to do? Who's he going to ask me to talk to? What might God, you know, he's challenging. This is the hard question. Does God's will appear good, pleasing, and perfect to you? I have here a reference to John chapter 4. And of course, we've been, we studied through the book of John recently, so we've seen this over and over again. Jesus, uh, you know, this is after his uh, encounter with the woman at the well, and the disciples say, hey, we got the food here, don't you want to eat something? And he says, oh, you don't understand, I have food that you don't know about. What's the food that Jesus has that they didn't know about? Do you remember? It's pretty famous. Here it is in, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, I'll start from verse 31, John 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples, all of us disciples, we're pretty clueless. 
So he says, the disciples are saying, nobody brought him anything to eat, did they? Hey, where do you, what is he talking about? What's this food he's talking about? Where do you get food? We went into town to get food. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus had this discernment of God's will thing with perfection because he walked in perfect fellowship with God in the spirit. He is God. He has the mind of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And he walks in perfect fellowship with the Father by the Spirit. And he found the will of God and accomplishing the work of God to be the satisfaction of life. There's a hint there for you and me. Matthew chapter 26. Oops, wrong way. Famous prayer of Jesus, maybe the most famous prayer of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. <clears throat> and he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Imagine that, the Son of God. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what he's talking about, right? Here's the exclamation point in his prayer, yet not as I will, but as you will. The Lord Jesus <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, submitted himself to the will of God in great distress. Good, pleasing, and perfect doesn't mean easy, painless, and comfortable. It means good, pleasing, and perfect. In Hebrews chapter 12, we see, we get into the mind of Jesus now. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who, for the joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Consider him who's endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's a little insight into the mind of Jesus in that prayer in the garden, not my will but thine. <laughs> Thy will gets us to the joy. It's pleasing in the end. Good, pleasing, and perfect doesn't mean easy, painless, or comfortable. I confess I like easy and painless and comfortable. But God has a higher, deeper, better plan than my plan of ease and comfort. Here's the thing. If God's will doesn't appear good and pleasing and perfect to me, what's the problem? Well, here's the thing. In that case, God and I do not agree. Oh. Oh. If God's will doesn't appeal to me, well, then God and I are in a disagreement, aren't we? Because that's his will. And my will is something other than his will. Uh-oh. Who has a problem? God or me? Who's wrong in that case? God or me? Well, odds are it's me. Probably it's me. Most likely, if you were a betting person, and you were going to bet God's will is right or my will is right, which, which would you bet on? No, it's not probably, it's not maybe. I'm wrong! I need to keep experimenting, keep thinking, keep evaluating, because I'm not there yet. I need to discern the difference between good and evil. I need to practice discerning it. I need to, when I find myself going, I'm pretty sure that's what God wants, but I don't want that. Keep thinking. And, by the way, even if I can't think it all the way out, where do we begin? Present your body a living sacrifice Present your body a living sacrifice. You know, when I present my body a living sacrifice, I surrender the right to make that decision. And I say, well, pretty sure that's what God wants. I cannot say no to what God wants. For me, this is really easy. This is easiest in the big decisions of life, you know, the career decisions. So when God says, oh, well, you should come here to Bonaire and be the pastor of this church, then I, I'm like, okay. Even if that idea didn't appeal to me at first. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to do Jonah. You tell me where to go, I'm going. 
Where it's most challenging is in the little tiny things that don't seem to matter, but end up mattering. That's where it's the hardest. And that's where you get the best practice. The little things where I could, I could go out of my way a little bit to express the love of Christ to someone. No one's going to know if I don't. Even the someone isn't going to know if I don't. That's a little thing, except it's not. And so every day, I'm practice, 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 discerning the will of God. I'm submitting myself to God entirely. I'm rejecting the thinking of the world. I recognize the great value of this relationship Christ died to give me, and I'm trying to reflect it into the world. And I'm rejecting this really just stupid way the world thinks. And I'm being transformed by the Word of God, activated by the Spirit of God. And I'm looking to see what's the direction God has. And I become better and better and better. I develop the skill of a good will of God hunter. This is a, just a description of the Christian life. And, you know, from here, Paul goes on in the book of Romans. The rest, I think you could say it like this, the rest is details. This is the way, the nature of the thing itself. My prayer is that for, for all of us, and for us as a church, as a community of believers, a fellowship, that this would be more and more the reality. This is, by the way, something we can do together. If you have a decision you're trying to make and you're having trouble with it, look around. When I was hunting, <laughs> I needed my dad to say, it's right there, son. And I would, like, look down his arm to see it. We can, we can help each other in the same way. So this is our prayer, that these things would be real in each of our lives and in our life together as a church. Father, we give you thanks. You are so good to us. We really don't know. We can't imagine the goodness of our God. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to see it and to become more and more practiced in our discernment of good and evil, in our discernment of your will in this world. Help us to walk in this way. We trust in the finished work of Christ, and we know that nothing we do affects our standing before you. But Lord, we, we want to be better and better at reflecting your grace in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.